0: Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, March 27th, we are studying John chapter 16 verses 16 to 33. In today's text, Jesus speaks to his disciples of the sorrow that is about to come upon him, upon them, but he promises that he will turn their sorrow into joy when they see him again. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's good to be here with you this morning.
0: So we get started today, Pastor Stork, give us some context. We're looking at the end of John chapter 16 today. What should we know about the context that'll help us with the verses for our consideration?
1: Yes, yeah, so today as we continue on um, with John chapter 16, we find ourselves in the upper room with the disciples and Jesus. It is Monday, Thursday, um, the night which our Lord has um, instituted the sacrament of the altar, and before our text for this morning, Jesus has been speaking with the disciples about many different things. He's talked to them about being a part of the vine, being a part of him and the church. He's spoken to them as chapter 16 just about gets started about how not only has the world hated him, but that the world is also going to hate the disciples and hate those who follow after him. But then right before our text begins today, Jesus um, lets the disciples know that he is going to be sending a helper to them, that the Holy Spirit, after Jesus ascends into heaven, will be coming to them to glorify Jesus, to lift him up, and ultimately to allow the disciples then to share Jesus's wonderful work that he came to do with the world and that through the Holy Spirit many more in the world would come to saving faith in Jesus.
0: We've seen throughout this discourse from Jesus how he has been forward-looking throughout it, even as he is preparing his disciples for his upcoming suffering and death. He's been talking at length about what's going to happen after he rises from the dead and even after he ascends into heaven. And so we, we've seen that in the most recent context, and I think we will continue to see that in our text today, as Jesus once again not only prepares them for his death and his passion, but also for his resurrection, his ascension, and then their own work afterwards. So we have quite a bit of text for us today, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We are starting here in John chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me? No one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is our text for today. That is John 16, verses 16 to 33. Pastor Stork, as our text begins, the, the question really centers around this little while. Jesus says in verse 16, a little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, you will see me. And This clearly is important because it gets repeated several times, both in the question that Jesus, or the disciples want to ask Jesus, and then when Jesus says, I know you guys want to ask me this, like, that language gets repeated. It doesn't just get summarized, so this must be really important for us to understand Let's talk about this little while that Jesus is is talking about. What does he mean? Yeah, so eight times um, is actually the the amount of
1: times that that little while wow. shows up here in these opening verses of this little section. Um, what's what's going on? And I think this is where the the shift begins to happen in our text for today. Um, and and this is where as mentioned before context is so important because up until this point jesus had been talking to the disciples about the coming of the holy spirit that he was going to send the helper to them to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and of course the disciples have this in their mind as well of well when is this when's this taking place and so now jesus opens this up and he says a little while you will see me, no longer, and again a little while you will see me. So, what's our Lord preparing the disciples for? Um, again, what is in our immediate context? Well, we have to start looking forward. You know, we find ourselves in the upper room, and we know, as readers of John's Gospel, what's about to happen. After Jesus prays um, the high priestly prayer, he and the disciples are going to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in just a little time, a a short while, a a micron, a a micro moment, um, everything is going to change for the disciples and for Jesus. Um, From our Lord having preached and taught and done miracles, all of a sudden, Jesus is going to be taken from them. And they're no longer going to they're no longer going to see him. But then again, here we go. Again, a little while, and you will see me. So again, what, you know, from the disciples' perspective, they have no idea what's coming, even though Jesus has told them repeatedly throughout the Gospels, I have to go to Jerusalem, I have to go up to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of the world and rise again. Mm. And the disciples haven't gotten it. And so here again, I think Jesus is telling them in different language, uh, this is now about to happen, and it's mm. not very far off.
0: So there's there's actually two different little wiles in verse 16 then. The first little while, and you will see me no longer, that would be the little while that is between when Jesus is speaking, and I suppose when he's buried. That would be, or when they desert him, when they are scattered and they they flee. That's when they won't see him. So that is the first little while. Yeah. But then there's a second little while, which would be between that that moment, the burial of Jesus, and then the resurrection, and when he appears to him. So there's really two little whiles going on here. It seems.
1: Yeah. Um, so again, you have the the first little while which would be the time when the mob shows up to arrest Jesus and the disciples, they, they don't stay. Um, They don't fight though. You know, we have Malchus's ear getting cut off and Jesus healing him, but we have the disciples at that point in time scattering. Um, They all run, you know, their own way. We have, yes, Peter who sticks around, who goes to the courtyard of the high priest. We know that John has stuck around for the most part. But the rest of the disciples, they won't see Jesus again. Um, and then, of course, yes, three days later, after Jesus has been laid in the tomb, um, after he has rested from all of the work that he's accomplished, in just that short time, and just those few short days, they will see him again. When he appears again in this very same room that they're in right now, he will appear to them and show him that not only did he die on the cross, but that he has also been raised from the dead.
0: I think you bringing out the fact that we need to look forward to understand that is very helpful, because that is where Jesus explains what he means by this little while, particularly as he talks about the image of a woman giving birth and the way that that informs what he's talking about that's really the way we need to understand this little while or both little whiles, rather than maybe looking backward as much and thinking more about the well, i mean you know for example you and i don't see jesus right now mm-hmm. so that's and and that is called a little while in some senses but that when you look about the way jesus describes that first little while when you won't see him he's going to talk about it as a time of sorrow and i don't think that that our time of not seeing Jesus right now is not that time of sorrow. It's actually a time of joy for us because of the helper that Jesus has just gotten done talking about that he will send. So yeah, we're going to look forward to understand what Jesus is talking about with these little whiles in verse 16. And we're going to unpack that as we go, but we've we've got it in our mind now. So as, as you mentioned, the word little while shows up eight times here in the Greek and it, it's very important, but the disciples don't understand. So talk about the, the misunderstanding or the lack of understanding on the part of the disciples in this questioning that they want to they put before Jesus.
1: Yeah. So again, they have in their mind, um, Jesus, you know, he's also been talking about going to the Father and the, the union, the relationship between the Father and the Son. And so, again, the the disciples are confused here because they're, you know, what is this little while looking like? You know, like, as our Lord says in in verse 17, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. You know, so they're they're very confused at this point in time and, and trying to figure out that, you know, is jesus going to heaven and then he's going to come back again is he talking about you know some other event again talking about the work of the holy spirit just before this within our context um you know what is what is this going to look like and and what's actually happening here um but I think what Jesus, again, is trying to help the disciples to understand is that um, what happens at the cross is so central here, um, especially in regards to what our Lord says, you know, as he hangs there on the cross, um, talking about commending his spirit into his father's hands. Um that at his death, he, he is giving himself over to his father. He's entrusting his, his spirit into his father's hands. Um, and, and that the disciples, again, they don't, they're not getting this. They're, they're kind of like Nicodemus where Jesus has been explaining baptism to him and Nicodemus kind of gets it, but not really And so I think the same thing is going on here with the disciples. You know, we would hope that the disciples really would understand what Jesus is trying to say, but it's still, it's, it's going beyond them. Um, And so they're really, they really are struggling here. What does he mean? I mean, as they go on, what does he mean by a little while?
0: We just don't get it. We don't know what he's talking about. I really, I, I do love the picture of the disciples in this text, particularly, and in other texts like it, where their lack of understanding is just right out there in front for everybody to see. It, it certainly comforts me when I find myself in their shoes, and, and also like, wait, what is Jesus talking about here? And, and to see his, his patience with them, his grace and mercy, and continuing to teach them and lay it before them, I, I think is a great comfort. To all Christians, when we also don't understand what Jesus is saying, we see the way that he he comforts us and and continues to teach us patiently by his word. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, you know, even as a pastor, like you
1: said, there are times where you're studying a text or you're looking at something and you're trying to, you know, wrap your head around what is Jesus trying to say here. You know, what is what's he trying to communicate to us? And realizing that. Yeah, again, the, the disciples have been with Jesus for three years, but they're still really they're still really struggling with him. You know, and I tell my confirmants that sometimes they said, you know, Jesus is the perfect teacher. He's the perfect confirmation teacher. And after three years of being with Jesus, the disciples are still struggling. They still don't have it, you know, perfectly understood like, you know, we would hope that they would. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. And and you do, I think, within this discourse, see Jesus, perhaps his frustration or his, you know, come on, I've been teaching you this all along. In fact, I, I think toward the end of this text, and we'll, we'll get there in verse 31, where Jesus says, do you now believe? I, I would love to have heard his tone of voice when he says that, whether it's an exclamation or a legitimate question or perhaps a bit of sarcasm there from our Lord, uh-huh. I'm not sure. But I, I do think you you see some of his his ongoing frustration, yet at the same time, he teaches his disciples patiently. So yeah, so a little while they are going to ask about what this means. And Jesus then is going to tell them more. He he knows that they want to ask him. And again, rather than putting them to shame, he goes ahead and teaches. Yep. So verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Before he picks up the image of a woman giving birth, what's he saying there in verse 20? Yeah, so again,
1: he reminds the disciples about what is about to happen. So again, going back to the beginning of this, where he talks about the little while and you will see me no longer. He He's preparing them for what is about to happen. Truly, truly, I say to you you will weep and lament, you know, and he's, he's telling them what's about to happen. Um, you are going to be overcome with emotion, with sadness, with anger, um, and, you know, this is how you're gonna react. At the same time, as you're weeping and lamenting, the world is gonna rejoice. The world's going to rejoice over my suffering. It's going to rejoice over the, um, the the trial that I'm going to have to go through. The world's going to rejoice as I'm brought out, having been flogged and crowned with thorns. The world's going to rejoice that I'm dying on the cross. Um, Caiaphas and, and Amos and the leaders are going to rejoice. They're... they're gonna be happy that this has happened because they are finally able to get rid of this rabble rouser who is causing so much chaos within their within their realm within their world and so you know again jesus is telling them you're you are you're gonna weep you're gonna cry at what you see but the world this world that's being directed by by Satan, this world where, you know, Satan is kind of moving all these things along. Um, is going to rejoice in seeing me hang on the cross.
0: But then he promises that that sorrow will turn into joy. How does he accomplish that? Yeah,
1: of course that happens at the resurrection. Um, when, when Jesus shows himself in the upper room to the disciples, um, that that sorrow will no longer be the thing that fills their hearts. It, it will be um, the joy of the resurrection. There is Jesus. We, we get to see him um, ag- again, though we know that he's the one who has suffered and died on the cross. We've seen the marks in his hands. We saw the, the place where the spear went into his side, but we've seen him with our very own eyes. Um, the, it's that joy that the disciples on the road to Emmaus um, experience when Mm -hmm. jesus after having explained to them all of the old testament again there's that perfect confirmation class that jesus is teaching you know here is um jesus explaining everything to them and then when they get to the house jesus breaks the bread their eyes are open they realize that it's the lord and of course they're they're filled with a sense of joy so that they run back to jerusalem to tell the disciples we've seen the Lord.
0: Mm. So for the disciples then, you know, they experienced that very real sorrow in that little while in which they did not see the Lord, again, between his burial and before he was raised. And then that sorrow turned into joy. But with that sorrow now having turned into joy upon Jesus' resurrection, when we as Christians, and even when the disciples as Christians, look back and reflect upon that little while the death of our lord and his burial we actually do take we have joy in what our lord did during that little while between his death and his resurrection right i mean this is that that joy in the resurrection now transforms the way we think about and and experience the lord's crucifixion and and burial even to the point that we call it good, good Friday. Friday now
1: yeah i mean that that's how you know as christians we we look at the the sadness of the cross um you know we we look at the suffering that our lord went through but from our perspective you know it, it is a good thing um it's the very thing that we rejoice in as as christians um as paul tells the corinthians you know um i preach nothing but christ crucified a- and it and paul doesn't mean that he doesn't preach that jesus you know, didn't rise from the dead, that all he does is preach a, a a dead Jesus hanging there on the cross. No, but you can't have a resurrected Jesus without a Jesus who first gave himself for the sins of the world. And so for us as Christians, we too have the ability to rejoice in this most, you know, terrible act of our Lord's crucifixion, um, because it has saved us from sin, death, and, and hell. Um, as, as I told my congregation just recently, I said, you know, the fact that Jesus suffered for us means that our sins have been conquered, which means the death has been conquered, which means ultimately Satan has been conquered. And even though we are still in this world, we have a joy and a hope that, the rest of the world doesn't have. Um, knowing that these things are, are not the end for us, um, that they are things and, and realities in this world that we as Christians know have already been defeated. And so we do have a sorrow that has been turned into joy by you know the, the sacrifice of our Lord and his, his perfect resurrection from the dead.
0: And, and then on the flip side of that, that means that the joy that the world had during that little while when they rejoiced to see Christ crucified, that joy was actually not real or lasting and actually ends up turning to sorrow if they would remain in, in unbelief mm-hmm. Yeah I mean
1: you now have when Jesus shows himself or at least you know when the when the tomb opens and Jesus's body is not there, Of course, you know, the Annas and Caiaphas and the leaders are trying to figure out a way of, you know, well, the disciples stole the body or, you know, some Jesus maybe didn't actually die on the cross. He was actually alive, you know, when they put him away in the tomb. You know, trying to come up with all these excuses and ways to get the world to believe that Jesus didn't actually die and rise from the grave. And they then come to the understanding that, oh my gosh, you know, the kingdoms that we have set up here on this world, the things that we worship are truly not lasting. Um, You know, the joy that they had turns into sorrow. You're right, Pastor Apple. Um, Because, you know, what else do they have to hope in but things that, you know, eventually will fall away, things that will um, break and decay, that moth and rust will destroy. Um, yeah. you know, whether it's power, whether it's political power or whether it's, um, because you have a lot of money or even just, you know, who has the most stuff, you know, we, you know, the guy with the most stuff at the end wins. Well, the guy with the most stuff at the end is still going to find himself in the tomb. Um, yeah. you know, what joy is he going to have in that? Um, yeah. but for us as Christians, our joy goes beyond that. It, it goes beyond anything that the world tells us to, to hope and trust in, because our joy and hope is found in the one who lives forevermore.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the joy that the world had, or that the, the enemy of the, of the gospel, Satan himself, the joy that he had in seeing Christ crucified was short-lived, as several Easter hymns remind us. Walter's Easter hymn, He's Risen, He's Risen, speaks that way, Gerhardt's Easter hymn Awake My Heart With Gladness talks about the foe shouting in triumph when he saw Christ crucified but now he is routed so this is the the hope that is ours in Christ we have true lasting joy because the crucified one is the risen one and as the joy that Jesus is giving to his disciples in this text ahead of time we're gonna keep looking at this text on the other side of the break you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, we're talking about John 16 with Pastor Tim Stork. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, March 27th. We're studying John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33 with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we were looking at Jesus' answer to his disciples. They want to ask him what this little while means, and so he's been telling them about the little while when they will weep and lament that is the time between his crucifixion and resurrection but then there comes a little while when they will see him again and their sorrow will turn to joy as jesus continues he explains that using the image of a woman giving birth starting in verse 21 so what's what's jesus communicating using this image and take us into some of the old testament background that we should know to understand this as well
1: yeah so there are a couple of things that um jesus is referencing he, he's taking us back especially to um, the prophet isaiah where he uses and, and you know he's pulling some of the same language or using the same language to, to help us understand um, for example one of those texts is from isaiah chapter 26 where isaiah writes he says "O lord in distress they sought you they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she's near to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we were but we've given birth to wind. We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. And then also in Isaiah 66, we, we hear Isaiah say these words. He, he writes, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who's heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Um, and Isaiah goes on to, to write even more wonderful words that, I like to use quite often when I go to visit members. Um, He goes on to say, he says, Rejoice with Jerusalem, be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Um, and, And so Jesus here uses this, the same imagery for us in regards to helping the disciples and, and us understand what this little while is all about. So he takes an example from life um, of a woman who is um, in labor, enduring the, the suffering and the pain um, and, and the sorrows of you know preparing to give birth. Um, and, and that's what she's focused on. At this point in time, and again, that's that's what Jesus is looking at here. He said, for you know, for a little while, you will have sorrow. Um, and for the the woman who is in labor, she's in sorrow, she's in pain. But then, the child is born. Um, when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. So, yes, the anguish really happened. But because she now sees the gift, um, the baby has still been delivered, you no longer remember that anguish that was just happening, you know, even just moments ago, um, because of the joy that a human being was born into the world. Um, and so, again, here is Jesus reminding the disciples that this sorrow, um, this lamenting that they will undergo for this little while as he is tried and executed on the cross and lying in the tomb will only last for a little while, but then it will be overtaken by his resurrection from the dead um, as the, the earth opens up and, and Jesus rises again to, to life. And that joy of the resurrection overtakes the sorrow that the disciples are about to face and struggle with.
0: Yeah, I mean, both of those passages that you read from Isaiah, from chapter 26 and also from chapter 66, both of those speak of the resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. using that same image. And so I think Jesus, I think, wants us to pick up that same thing. Even if you go a little bit further in the Isaiah 26 passage, one verse past what you read into to verse 20, that language of little while also comes mm-hmm. up even. So this is this is a, an image that's used by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus picks it up here to give his disciples this comfort concerning the little while, that their sorrow will be turned into joy. And there's, this, there's a, a wonderful turn of phrase that Jesus uses in verse 22. And I suppose this is after now he's really passed the image, but it's still in their minds. He says, so also you have sorrow now. And then he says, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I, I love the that turn of phrase. It, it's not to, it, the disciples will see Jesus, mm-hmm. but now Jesus says, but I'll see you too. And that's the that's really the foundation here. It, it's not just that the disciples will see Jesus, but hey, he sees them, right? That language, you didn't choose me, but I chose mm-hmm. you, right? Not only will you see me, but I will see you, and there's, there's great comfort too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, your heart, your hearts will rejoice and, and nobody can take that joy from you. Um, you know, the, there's nothing that can take that joy of what the disciples experienced, you know, when Jesus showed up in the in the upper room and appeared to them for the very first time. And, you know, to have been a fly on the wall in in that room when Jesus appeared for the first time and to, to see, you know, what the disciples saw that time i mean it must have been so overwhelming for them um and and then of course jesus telling them peace be with you because i'm sure that the first thing that the disciples realized too was oh man you know especially peter who had told jesus i'm gonna go with you not just to prison but i'll die with you you know and i'm not going to ever you know turn my back on you and of course what does Peter do? He, that's the Those are the very things he doesn't do. You know, he, he doesn't follow Jesus to the cross. He denies Jesus three times. And, of course, I think that's why, you know, Jesus has to talk to Peter specifically later on because Peter is so overwhelmed with, you know, what he did. But, again, nobody can take that joy from them. You know, nobody is ever going to be able to take that joy of having been seen by Jesus, and having seen Jesus, you know, nothing can change that. The, the devil can't take that away from them. Um, the world can't take that away from them, because it is true. It, it truly happened. And so what, what a joy to have in their hearts for the rest of their ministry, as they're going out to share the wonderful work of Jesus to the world, And especially when the world says well you didn't see him you know nobody ever has risen from the dead and the disciples can know you know in their hearts and in their minds we did we saw jesus you may not believe but we saw him ourselves
0: yeah and and i think the way jesus speaks in this passage also then carries over into our lives as christians today when we haven't seen Jesus with our eyes in the same way that these men who heard Jesus that night did see him with their eyes, yet we also still know that Jesus does see us. And so we live in that little while mm-hmm. of the joy that is that cannot be taken away from us. I, I do think that, that even as these words are quite specific to the disciples in the upper room, yet they have application for us because we continue to live in the joy that Jesus has given through his resurrection. Now, as Jesus continues, he, he starts talking about the disciples asking, and he says, you're not going to ask from me. Instead, you're going to ask of the Father in Jesus' name, and he's going to give, and when he does that, your joy is going to be full. Help us into these these words from Jesus about asking the Father in his name.
1: Yeah, so this is another one of those texts where um, you, know, you have to start really kind of pondering and, and looking around at at the context and trying to understand, you know, well, what is, what's Jesus talking here about? What is, what does he want us to, to know? What's he telling the disciples? And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, and there's that double amen, amen, amen. So Jesus wants us to pay attention. You know, he wanted the disciples to pay attention. I say to you, whatever you ask of me or whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You've asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. Uh, well, what is, you know, what's asking the father in my name all about? What is, what does that look like? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here is um, he, he's talking about prayer, um, going to the father and, and asking him as as a child would ask his father, um, to to provide, and, and this this leads us into a whole question of, um, you know, what does this look like, or, you know, when we ask the father for things, um, you know, well, why don't we always get them, or why don't we get the things that we want? I mean, there there's so much when we talk about prayer, that you know unanswered questions or, you know, desires that we have or things that we would like that we don't always understand. But I think the other thing that's happening here is Jesus is telling the disciples that there, there's a shift now that has happened. Um, that, yes, you have been with me for these last three years, but now you are in a different place with the Father. You are his sons. Um, and, and you can speak to him you you can come and pray to him directly as Jesus taught the disciples to pray earlier you know Lord teach us to pray pray this way our father and he will be the one who gives you you know the the things that you ask for um, and again it's it's interesting that Jesus asked this question um, you know, until now, you've asked nothing in my name, um, but they had they really not prayed to the Father in Jesus's name? Um, you know, again, what the, this tension that's going on with the disciples, and you know, did they really quite understand what Jesus was telling them all along, or have they been kind of, you know, these catechumens who are? what do you mean, Jesus? What What do you want us to do?
0: Yeah, so I mean, and we've seen uh, texts like this before where Jesus makes a promise about prayer. And, and we shouldn't understand that as just ask for whatever you want in the sense of whatever pops into your mind, mm-hmm. but rather ask for those things that are found in Jesus' name, those things that are in his word, which is abiding in you and you are abiding in that word. That context still comes into play here in what Jesus promises. And I think you're right to point out that the really important thing that Jesus wants to get across to his disciples here is this connection they have with the father because of what Jesus has done. They are this intimately connected to the father that they can simply ask the father as their father, as you said, that's the way he's taught them Mm -hmm. to pray and they need not fear reproach from him because he loves them for the sake of his son, Jesus. And I really think that's what's, what's going on here. Now, as Jesus continues he, he says, hey, I've been saying these things in figure of speech, but the hour's coming when I'm not going to speak in figures of speech. I'll tell you plainly about the Father. And then he, he does continue to talk about the Father. Help us into these next words of Jesus, starting there in verse 25.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, again, here here we have Jesus. I, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. What? <laughs> huh? I, I mean, I... I have more compassion for the disciples whenever I read this text, because, yes. you know, here they've been, even though they've been with Jesus all this time, you know, and they've been listening to him and preach, they've been with him, you know, when he explains the parables to them, you know, as he hasn't always done it to the crowds, but he has for the disciples. And he says, well, I've been speaking to you in figures of speech. Wait, huh? And then he goes on and he says, The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day, and again, here he goes, In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And so here. I think Jesus wants them, again, to look forward to the 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 revelation of the Father on the cross. So we, again, don't have just, you know, we have Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, um, for our redemption from sin, death, and the devil, but that it shows even more to it than that, that there is also this revelation of how much our heavenly father truly loves us um, and loves all mankind that he would sacrifice his son on the cross for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, and the fact that even when Jesus is dying there on the cross, even when everything is at its worst and, you know, our Lord cries out, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fact is, though, after Jesus cries out those words, he speaks, again, words of great comfort and great joy, where he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Whose hands are he talking about? He's talking about his father's hands. So even where, and knowing that his father has abandoned him on the cross to suffer the indignation of... You know our sin jesus still trusts his father and we too in the midst of everything going on in our own lives and the trials and the tribulations and especially those times where it looks as if the father has abandoned us we know that we can cry out to him and know that he will hear us um, and that he will answer our prayers Um, according to his will and according to his desires. Um, And that, again, Jesus is, as he tells the disciples at the end of 28, I came from the Father, I've come into the world, and I am going to be leaving the world again, and I'm going to the Father. Um, And so, again, you can, you know, you can, you've seen all of these things, and now you can um, know that I'm going back to the Father who sent me, you know, as John tells us at the beginning of the of his gospel, um, that Jesus came into the world and tabernacled among us, and that again, for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus has to go back to his Father um, until the day when the Father will again send him to us on the last day.
0: Now, in verse 29, the disciples speak up again, and they speak, it seems, from a place of understanding. Oh, we we know now, Jesus. And, and Jesus says in his answer, do you now believe? That's the way it's translated there in the ESV. So I, I'm curious, Pastor Stork, how you take this? Do the disciples understand? Is Jesus, is he being sarcastic there, or is it simply a rhetorical question to continue the conversation? How do you, how do you take those verses? I, <laughs> um, when, when I read through
1: that, I, I have a feeling that there there is some sarcasm to them i guess you could say do you now believe you know i you i've you've been with me for three years now you know are are you finally are you finally getting it or you know are you just saying that um you know and and again i you know it's hard whether you're reading the greek or whether you're reading the english i mean it's kind of a judgment call to decide, you know, how is Jesus speaking those words? Um, you know, is he frustrated with them because all of this time and now they're just getting it? Or, you know, do you now believe, you know, oh, wow, maybe your eyes really are open. Um, but again, I, I love how Jesus, you know, goes on with yeah. with that in verse 32. He reminds them again, the hour is coming. Um, and it's not just coming. It's not just in a little while. It's come. The time is now. Um, when you will be scattered. You know, he's been warning them all along it, throughout the Gospels that they have to go to Jerusalem. Jesus has to go up to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And... In just a few short minutes or a few short hours, depending on, you know, how you want to lay all of this out, the time's finally going to become where you're going to be scattered. You know, you're going to run um, each to his own home and I'm going to be left to myself. I'm going to have to, you know, be there in the Garden of Gethsemane by myself. And yet he's not alone. I mean, that, that's the great thing here that Jesus tells the disciples, even though you have abandoned me, um, or you're going to abandon me, even though Peter says, I'm still going to be there with you, Lord. He's not alone. The Father is with him. And I think for us as Christians, too, when we read a text like this, you know, in those times where we do feel like we are alone, or that you know, we aren't receiving the support of the church or receiving the support of fellow Christians. We're not alone. Our Lord is with us. Um, He is there in his word, in our um, communion with him in the Lord's Supper, and most especially in our baptism as well, where Jesus promises to be with us. Um, So yes, you know, I'm not alone because the Father's with me.
0: Mm -hmm. And then Jesus concludes with very comforting words there in verse 33. He he says, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. He's talked about that previously, Mm -hmm. both the peace and the fact that he's telling these things ahead of time for a purpose. And he says, then in the world, you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Talk about this peace that Jesus gives and how it comes from the fact that he has overcome the world, even in the midst of our own tribulation here.
1: Yeah so this again is the a peace that only jesus can give um it it is the peace of heart and the the peace of mind knowing that again in jesus we have um forgiveness life and salvation you know it's a, a peace that the world cannot take away from us um and so he reminds them of this you may have peace um I've said all of these things to you, that you can have that. So yes, there are going to be times of um, great lamenting and great sorrow and great weeping, but there will be a time of great joy. And then he tells them this. He, He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. And he doesn't say this as a, well, you might have tribulation or tribulations may come. But he says, "In the world, you will have it. It's almost it's a guarantee. You're going to have tribulation, as you know, not only for the disciples, but also for you know the 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 believers to follow. Um, You will have tribulation as a Christian. It is um, it is a part of who we are. It is a part of the struggle that we." That we bear it, it is a part of the the crosses that our lord has um individually made for for each one of us we we will have tribulation um and, and so again just because you have tribulation in this world doesn't mean that god doesn't love you Th- that's something to keep in mind just because you have tribulation in this world doesn't mean you know god hates you or that god you know doesn't want anything to do with you or that, you know, maybe you're not a good enough Christian because you're facing these tribulations. No, they're just, they're a present reality of believers in this world. You will have tribulation, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world I mean, what better words could could Jesus leave us with this morning than that? Take heart. I've overcome the world. Um, you know the the things that have given you tribulation in this world, the the sin,, um, the unbelief, the the world, how it attacks us. Um, and, and the devil himself, I, I have overcome all of these things on the cross. And that is your present reality as a believer in Christ, that the tribulations will come to an end, just like Jesus's death on the cross was only for a little while. So too, in the grand scheme of things, our tribulations in this world are only for a small short season and why because jesus has overcome the world there is a a a season of eternity not only in the world to come that jesus has promised us but even now um that our lives are are lived in faith in jesus and that you know the the short time that we have here on earth and the short time that we battle these tribulations is Again, a, a, a micro time. It's such a short time because Jesus has overcome the world. And what, great, what great joy and hope and, again, peace this gives to all of us who believe in Christ.
0: Pastor Tim Stork is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you,
1: Pastor Apple. It's uh, always a joy to be able to join you and join your listeners as well.
0: In this world, we have tribulation. Jesus says that is the way it is, but he gives us his peace. He invites us to take heart. For he has overcome the world, the little while of his death and burial has ended, and now we live in that time in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that joy that cannot be taken away from us, a joy that will be fully complete on the last day when our Lord returns. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to John, send us an email. Send it to KFUO at KFUO.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.